everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss, and I'm a licensed clinician specializing in uh, anxiety disorders. So uh, thank you all for joining me for this episode. Uh, this should be a fun episode, but uh, uh, this can be, again, an atypical episode. This is not going to be the typical question and answer uh, based uh, format for the show. Uh, and for those of you who are new, if uh, if you would have questions or if you have questions about OCD and anxiety treatment, uh, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can send me a question there. Uh, you, again, also, everybody, you can send me an audio question over at questions at fearcastpodcast.com. And uh, I, I'll take those questions and I will likely put them up and answer them on a future episode. So you can ask me anything, anything about, uh, you know, uh, symptoms or a specific disorder or is this OCD or how do I treat this or, hey, my therapist is telling me to do this or this is difficult for me. What can I do? I'm more than happy to talk about it and uh, or I'm trying to or I will be happy to find someone I can rope into this who can talk about who has more expertise than I on the subject. So. So today's episode is going to be, as I mentioned, a little bit different. Uh, today, I'm going to actually be reposting the audio to a talk that uh, I recently was a part of at the IOCDF conference. So for those of you who don't know, so the IOCDF is the International OCD Foundation. They are going to be the uh, kind of governing body or larger body of, uh, of, of information and information distribution for OCD and, uh, and, and other anxiety disorders as well, but they obviously focus on OCD. So every year they have a conference and typically if it was in the before times, it would all be in person and you'd get on a, 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 an airplane and you would deal with uh, potential disorders and diseases and all sorts of things we'd have to see, you know, normal stuff. And we'd go to that city and we'd uh, be giving those talks in person. But uh, lately we've been doing it online and uh, which is, which has been great. It's actually been reaching a lot more people, but um, we had the advantage of, uh, of pre-recording it and I sucked out the audio for it and I'm going to post it here on this episode. So uh, the talk that we're going to be, uh, uh, or that I'm going to be posting here that we presented at the conference uh, is uh, is called What to Do When Obsessions Overlap with Genuine Interests. Um, so I was joined by uh, by Lauren McMeekin, or excuse me, Lauren Rosen, she has changed her name since, uh, and also Kelly Frankie, so both licensed therapists and uh, uh, Instagram stars, if you are aware of them. But they were kind enough to join me to talk about uh, uh, what what to what to do. So sometimes our, our our the stuff that we're genuinely interested in, and also the stuff that we just genuinely have to do in life. For example, uh, you know if you have a hobby, or if you have stuff that you, you know if you have a job that you really enjoy. Hopefully, you have a job that you enjoy, or just family stuff. Sometimes OCD is going to grab onto those and you're going to start to develop obsessions about those things. And sometimes people can get bummed out because it feels like because of this, this obsession now, I can no longer do this thing again, or I'm never going to be happy doing this again, or it's just going to destroy everything that I love in my life. And we're here to tell you that's not the case. There are some things that you can be aware of and some things that you can do to help create boundaries and structures around it so that you can have your life and 
still challenge and still overcome the obsession. So that's what the, the basis of this talk is. So uh, hopefully the information in this is, is informative, is interesting. Hopefully, again, it's helpful to you or it's helpful to someone that you know. Um, in advance, if you have questions about it, if you would like the handouts uh, or the slides for it, you can again email me over at questions at fearcastpodcast.com and I'm happy to forward those to you. I should also say uh, that this episode is uh, is being provided or is, is being allowed to be published here um, by the IOCDF, so I want to make a specific Thank you and shout out to Dr. Jeff Schumansky, who uh, who runs the joint. So uh, he uh, he gave me some specific permission to uh, 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 to republish this, but uh, but this talk was originally given at the OCDF conference. By the way, if you are trying to get more information about uh, OCD and OCD treatment, go check them out. The it's IOCDF International OCD Foundation org, and they're going to have a ton of information about OCD and 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 treatment, and they're also have they also have a great database for people who are looking for a therapist put in your zip code it'll pop up a whole bunch of therapists in your area and as the name implies it is international so it should be able to help you to find a therapist for you in your country uh, where you live so uh, i'm not sponsored by the iocdf but uh, I, I think it's worth uh, plugging their services and their information and also the conference so all right so without further ado everybody here is the iocdf presentation of what to do when obsessions overlap with genuine interests all right, so right before I get into the presentation, I should mention, we do reference uh, a question and answer uh, section uh, I'm coming at the end of the whole thing. So during the talk or during the conference that there was, was this pre-recorded presentation, then afterwards there was a live Q&A where uh, Lauren Kelly and I responded to folks uh, live via, uh, via Zoom. So that is obviously not going to happen here. Because we we can't uh, republish the voices of uh, of the conference attendees, so uh, so it does cut off before we get into the live Q and A section. So if you're wondering where that is, it ain't here. So it is just Lauren Kelly and I. But hopefully that will suffice. So again, on to the presentation. everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for uh, uh, our chat here today. Uh, the chat title is going to be called What to Do When Obsessions Overlap with Genuine Interests. Um, uh, my name is Kevin Foss, and uh, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I specialize in the treatment of OCD and anxiety spectrum disorders with the California OCD and Anxiety Treatment Center. I'm joined today with Kelly Frankie and Lauren Rosen, and I'll let them introduce themselves uh, here. Kelly, go for it. Oh, thank you. I'm Kelly Frankie, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I also treat OCD and OCD spectrum disorders, and I work at the OCD Center of Los Angeles since 2012. Lauren, take the floor. I am Lauren Rosen. I also treat these disorders. I also work with eating disorders, and I also work at the OCD Center of Los Angeles, where I've been since 2016. Awesome. Well, everybody, thanks for joining us for today. So um, uh, just before we get started today, we're going to be doing a 45-minute kind of thereabouts uh, talk today, pre-recorded, and we'll be in the chat box responding to any questions. But if there are any significant questions that you want to go over, we're going to be jumping on at the very end of our presentation, and we'll be able to uh, uh, interact and converse with you all in real time. 
Um, additionally, so we're going to be going over and giving a lot of different examples for this, um, but please remember that, that this is not going to be an exhaustive list and we're probably going to be missing some examples and not being able to go in incredible detail about each and every one of them. But if you want to ask specific questions about um, uh, uh, kind of specific subtypes or how it is working for you, uh, please hold on to those questions until the very end. We'll be more than happy to go over them uh, then. So why don't we go over just the objectives for today? So first and foremost, we're going to just start by talking about just what OCD is and just how it works. Um, it's going to be incredibly helpful to know what the disorder is and how it works and, and what it's all about before we start jumping into and uh, challenging and trying to overcome the disorder itself. Um, from there, we're going to go on to talking about how OCD grabs onto specific obsessions, uh, why it is that one person would have a specific obsession over another. Uh, and then lastly, uh, how can we, we, how we can develop a better relationship with OCD to have a ver uh, to live a more values-based life. So ultimately what we can do about that so we can start pulling ourselves back from, um, from OCD's clutches and kind of uh, taking back things that are of genuine interest to us, hobbies, um, pastimes, things like that. When OCD attacks those, we want to be able to pull our life back from those to be able to have those interests along with trying to overcome OCD. So let's start by just jumping into what the OCD cycle is. So if you are... Um, uh, if you've attended this conference for uh, longer than three minutes, I'm sure you've had somebody talk about what the OCD cycle is. So um, just very briefly, though, what it can look like is, is essentially this. So every time we're talking about OCD and anxiety, this is what we're looking at. So it can be... Uh, anything can be a trigger, so kind of sparking this obsessive thought. So there can be internal triggers, which are just going to be thoughts and feelings, mental images, sensations. There can be external triggers as well, and those are going to be things like seeing someone going to a certain place and being around other people. Uh, those can be some examples of internal, external triggers, and those can bring on this obsession, which is um, this intrusive thought, urge, or image. And, and I, I like to think about the obsession as this feared story where your brain tells you something or it tells you a story about what that thing, that feeling, that mental image, that interaction, that person means for you or about you. And how that story plays out, it's going to cause some distress. It's either going to, and it can be pretty much anything, but it's often going to be anxiety, doubt, and discomfort, but it can also certainly be feelings of numbness, uh, feelings of emptiness. It's kind of this just unwanted feeling state. And since that distress doesn't feel very good, we're going to try to do a compulsion. A compulsion is really just going to be any thing that we do to either make sure that the feeling goes away, that distress goes away, and we start to feel okay again. Or a compulsion is going to be something that we do to try to make sure that that feared story doesn't happen the way that we fear it's going to. Now, once we do that, oftentimes it brings on this sense of temporary relief, but it being so short-lived but it feeling pretty good, it reinforces the obsession itself. Because what it does is, we've now gone through this whole process and treated a thought of the obsession that was neutral, we treated it as if it's a danger. So now our brain says, wow, that, that thought must be dangerous. That thought must be terrible. So it's going to start to send out this, these, um, these kind of false messages about um, these kind of uh, false alarm senses. And, uh, and then it reinforces that cycle because now we just have to go through that process yet again and yet again. 
But um, so just going then into uh, how it is and why it is that we would have a specific obsession. Um, so because that obsession that pops into our head, oftentimes it's going to be, it is going to be neutral that first time. And we have, we have thoughts all the time that we don't really respond to. But all of a sudden, if we get this worry or it, it somehow seems to threaten something that's really dear to us or something that's uh, really important to us, we're probably going to respond to it so that we can feel that sense of confidence and feel okay again. So OCD oftentimes latches onto the things that we value the most and things that we care about the most. But also remember that OCD can grab onto something that you also just strongly want to have or strongly want to do or that you might pursue or do had OCD not been there. And you can kind of think about that in terms of like your hobbies or your interests and values. If OCD wasn't there, you'd probably be doing that thing anyways. It'd be something that you'd actually care about and want to be a part of. But OCD will sometimes grab onto that because in this, though it might not be something you know, incredibly important, like your your character or um, uh, kind of your your sense of safety in the world. It can be things that you actually just genuinely want or think is interesting. But OCD sometimes will latch onto that. We'll talk about how that or what that looks like here in a moment. But also to please remember that as we're talking about this and how OCD attaches onto things that we value the most. Please remember that just because OCD doesn't grab onto something doesn't mean that you don't care about that. I know you used a lot of dozens in there, didn't I? But <laughs> it's, it, don't use this as a, as a, or try not to use this as a litmus test, that if you don't have a particular subtype or uh, you're not getting intrusive thoughts about X, it, it, it still might mean that you value that. It just means that OCD hasn't gotten there yet, or OCD has, has kind of bigger fish to fry in a sense. So, uh, so let's just go on real quick to what some of the examples are. So as you can see here, uh, from these different OCD subtypes and just what the meaningful activities are that might be associated with that. And think about this in three different ways. Number one, the activity can be done as a compulsion. Two, you can have the activity first and then have the OCD attaching onto that interest later. And thirdly, you can have an avoidance or quitting in response to that, which is you know similar to that compulsion. Um, and I'll give you some examples. So as you can see here, that you know you might have you might have existential OCD, which is going to be this concern about uh, uh, philosophical or existential questions, kind of the bigger the bigger um, abstract things in life, in in a in a compulsive manner to try to get a full understanding of uh, of the world of the universe someone might go and pursue a philosophy degree. So here you can see someone is doing a meaningful activity where they may say, gosh, I just still really value this, but they may be actually doing that as a compulsion to the original subtype. That can be very similar to the religious scrupulosity in going to seminary and saying, man, you know, to really solve my faith and my understanding about God and my relationship with God, I better go to seminary and learn everything I can. And once I go through it, gosh, then I'll get that sense of certainty and that feeling that I'll be okay. You can also have just a general interest too. You can have, think about someone who um, just wants to teach yoga or is going through mindfulness and that, um, you know, OCD aside, that's something they actually wanted to do. But then as they're doing it, you know, they're going to be talking a lot about breathing and mindfulness and, and being in touch with your body and feeling your feeling sensations in your body. And you can really see how uh, somatic or sensory motor OCD might slowly start to creep into that. 
and ask questions about whether or not you're doing it perfectly or doing it right or doing it enough or not enough or any sort of ones of those questions. And lastly, you can see perhaps even in, in the relationship OCD, someone may have that and just say, you know, I'm, I'm just going to forego dating until I figure out this relationship OCD. So I'm going to figure out the type of person I want to be with, the type of person that I am and what, what the type of, of relationship would be perfect for me. But I'm, I'm going to call off dating until that happens. So, so you can see in these examples that, um, that someone may have a particular, a particular activity where OCD latches onto it or vice versa. And it's kind of this uh, chicken or the egg scenario that, uh, that it, it can be really tempting to then get into the depths of it. But I just wanted to go over how that association may start. But as someone is feeling or going through uh, their, their subtype and going through their compulsive uh, process, it can lead to a lot of just uh, unwanted feelings and a lot of, uh, a lot of struggle and troubles. So, uh, so I'm going to pass it off to Lauren to then chat a little bit about some of those things. Thank you, Kevin. So, yeah, as you can imagine, and, and perhaps as you may have already experienced yourself, when when your obsessions and your and your interests overlap, it can feel pretty depressing. There can be a sense of hopelessness, and that's because one can feel stuck between two important things. One being recovery, of course, that, gosh, I don't want to do compulsions. I don't, I don't want to inadvertently make myself worse uh, by, doing, by doing certain things. And at the same token, I don't want to give up this thing that I love. Uh, so you can imagine, for instance, let's say somebody with existential OCD really had always just been sort of fascinated by uh, philosophy and this idea of, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't pursue that philosophy degree because I might get stuck doing compulsions. And the good news is that we don't have to avoid, kind of like what Kevin was just saying, we don't, we don't actually want to avoid anything uh, in life. And that's, that's a big part of recovery. And, and so learning how to marry the two, how to do the things that are important to us and simultaneously make a choice not to engage in compulsive behaviors uh, to the best of our ability in any case, uh, is, is sort of the goal. How do we do that? First step is to become aware of what compulsions might look like for us. Uh, and obviously, there are, are some that might be uh, outside of the realm of this discussion that are a, a little bit more clear cut. But here we have this, is this me being interested and wanting to do something that I like, or is this me trying to get certainty, trying to get rid of my anxiety? And some of the telltale signs that you might be doing a compulsion include things like a sense of urgency. So let's take one of the examples that Kevin just mentioned, uh, religious scrupulosity, for instance. Uh, one might feel the, the urge or the desire to pray. And, and it might not be entirely clear, well, is this me being compulsive or is this me wanting to cultivate a relationship with God? These are some of the, the questions or the, the ideas that you might consider uh, in trying to navigate that. So, a sense of urgency, like I said, that, that sort of it has to happen now. So, I have to pray now. I can't pray in a half hour. I can't pray in you know, a couple of days, it has to be in this moment. And the, the idea that it has to happen or something bad will happen 
that sort of obligatory element. If I don't pray, then, you know, I won't be a good Christian and I'll go to hell. Uh, the desire to repeat things excessively. So take, for instance, somebody who's a Catholic, perhaps they are told by their priest in confession to do a certain number of Hail Marys. Uh, perhaps they want to do more than that. And they may feel compelled to follow a rigid or excessive set of rules. Uh, like I have to be perfectly connected to God when I recite this prayer. I have to feel the intention of this Hail Mary. And so, again, you're finding yourself really stuck in trying to, um, in, in trying to get it right. And then, ultimately, if you're doing a behavior with the sole purpose of feeling differently, feeling less anxious, feeling a sense of completion, like, ah, good, that just right feeling, you're looking for that, there's a, a high chance that there's maybe a compulsion going on. And this is especially true if it goes, if it flies in the face of what you value. So if you're trying to compulse, if you're trying to pray in this case, uh, in order to have a different experience of the present moment, if you're trying to feel less anxious or feel that sense of completion, uh, that's quite different from, I want to pray because I want to connect with God. I want to develop a closer relationship with God, which would be that sort of values-based approach. Uh, so, ultimately, as uh, was mentioned earlier, there can be a propensity to completely avoid something that could be uh, a trigger for the desire to compulse, which again, is, is equally problematic to all of the other indicators uh, here that perhaps you're being compulsive or that OCD is involved. So, what can we do? A couple of things. First, we can view, like I said just on the previous slide, we don't want you to avoid things. We, we actually want you to do the things that you care about. The focus primarily is on response prevention. It's on doing the thing that matters, like maybe going out on a date and doing the response prevention. So not excessively checking to make sure that you're attracted to the person. Um, so you can view in that case, doing your interest in this case, dating as an exposure. And this is often the most difficult type of exposure as well, because of the fact that it's sort of happening in, in real time. Uh, another way that you can do exposure and response prevention is by scripting or doing imaginal exposures. And just to back it up a little bit, because I know we sort of talked about the whole obsessive compulsive cycle. Uh, the idea here is that we want to learn how to be triggered, how to have these thoughts, how to have these feelings without doing the compulsive behaviors that reinforce everything that Kevin explained. So whether it's doing the thing that you care about and not compulsing, in this case, you know, uh, checking feelings, uh, or it's doing imaginal exposures, like uh, one example of such an exposure might be uh, writing a story about how one's hobby or academic interest will slowly take over and ruin life as, as they know it. Uh, and to read the story over and over again, and to practice disengaging from any sort of compulsion, be that 
reassurance seeking rumination or uh, any sort of behavioral compulsions. Uh, likewise, uh, some people might find it triggering to read a script about not doing something. Like I might not do something uh, because I think it's a compulsion and then my worst fear will come true. I, I think uh, Kevin was talking about uh, or had on the slide harm OCD and, and the potential of becoming a surgeon. The idea of, oh my gosh, well, I won't I won't check that stitch one extra time and then they, the person will get infected or I'm obviously very good when it comes to medical uh, jargon, but <laughs> you, you get the picture, right? That, that something's going to happen because I treat this like it's a compulsion or I, I make that leap um, and reading that over and over again and learning how to tolerate the, the thoughts that come up about it, the feelings that come up without doing any sort of behaviors. And lastly, you might find yourself uh, wanting to do an imaginal about not being able to continue doing something that you love as a direct result of your OCD. So maybe I, maybe I'll have to give it up because I won't be able to tell what's a compulsion and what's not. And I, I won't be able to get better without stopping this, this interest altogether. Also mindfulness is a really important part of, of treatment for OCD and in this realm, we're looking at uh, so mindfulness as an approach is really concerned with being aware of the present moment without placing judgment on it. And this, the issue from a mindfulness perspective is that we're constantly trying to push away internal experiences or or hang on to them. And we see a lot of pushing away internal experiences in OCD. And so, having thoughts, having feelings without pushing them away or clinging to, to them, but pushing them away could look like, oh, look, I'm having that thought that maybe I'm not a good Christian because I didn't pray enough. Oh, I'm, I'm having a feeling about that. Uh, I'm feeling anxious. Okay. What's it like to feel anxious right now? And you can hear in the quality of what I'm talking about, that there's a curiosity. There's this non-judgmental element to the awareness uh, that really supports an acceptance and almost a welcoming of the thoughts and feelings and sensations and urges. The idea really is that we want to be able to bring these things along for the ride. I like to say, show your OCD a good time, right? Like don't let it run the show. You are, you're the director of the show and OCD can maybe be in the show, but it doesn't get to, to rule the roost. How's that for mixing metaphors, guys? And uh, obviously, the, the element of accepting uncertainty is really important here. And one of the, the elements of mindfulness is this present moment awareness without judgment. And so, learning how to be present instead of in the future or trying to figure out the future, trying to figure out the past um, is a really central part to accepting uncertainty, right? Like said, by being present, you are in effect saying, I don't know how this is all going to turn out. And I don't know what's going to happen. I'll just deal with it as it comes. Um, and this is really response prevention, too, because especially for people with mental compulsions, it's important to see how um, your, your tendency to want to sort of retreat into the brain to, to ruminate, to figure it out. Mindfulness and particularly mindfulness meditation is all about learning how to notice when your mind wanders and bring it back to the present. And so that sort of muscle that you exercise uh, can, uh, in, in this practice, can support 
recovery as well. So in terms of sort of the recap in many ways of what we've talked about so far, what, what questions can you consider in, in support of navigating this, this middle road between obsession and interest? And we have written here to consider it lightly because we can get compulsive about trying to make sure that we don't do compulsions or that we that something is a compul compulsion, trying to figure it out perfectly. So, you know, holding this all very gently. I once heard it described like a, a wearing a loose garment, right? We're, we're not trying to get too rigid here. But first saying, when has OCD attacked my interests? Like in what circumstances? So, uh, if somebody has existential OCD and they're into philosophy, they might say, uh, okay, well, when I, when I decided to go to, uh, or I decided to declare my major, that was when my OCD attacked my interests. That was one example. And how do I know OCD is attacking? What are the telltale signs? Well, we can reflect back to some of those qualities that I talked about earlier, urgency and, um, the obligatory nature, like it has to be done, those types of things. And also uh, with the um, just looking at the sort of thoughts that come up so that you can be aware of, of sort of how this begins to play out so that you can begin to intervene. And this third step is to really ask, well, was that compulsion actually helpful to me or did it make things worse? Did it... Um, Maybe it it wasn't at all necessary. Maybe by doing it, I re-triggered myself, right? There are all of these potentials, but just reflecting. How did it all turn out? And also... And doing it lightly. Doing it lightly. Yes. <laughs> Speak, would you mind sharing a little bit more about your thoughts on that? Um, well, just... I was just reminding people because of the fact that we're saying we're trying to cultivate curiosity, but not running down the, the rabbit's hole here. Um, and maybe giving a few more examples of that, Kevin, do you want to give yeah, more specifics? Yeah. I think when you're asking these questions, um, these aren't things to ask every single day or all the time, but, you know, periodically touching base on this, uh, or, you know, at the very least, just doing it once. And, and the key to, I think, to all this is asking them in the, it, 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 in your most honest self, like deep down, really and truly, how, it, 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 like, for example, number three, in all honesty, in retrospect, did I really need to do that? Because we can find our, we can find a real strong way to justify almost anything, um, and it can it, it can make us feel like we we need to do something or we need we need to do it in the moment. However, if we look back on it, we might be able to say, "Gosh, you know what? That 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 really was just an obsession, and that really was just a compulsion. It was not something that was necessary for me to do." Um, and that can take some, and that can take some, uh, or that can be really tough to be honest with yourself about that. Um, so that I, I would say, answer these questions in your most, you know, at, at, what is it, in your heart of hearts. Did you need to? Mm. I bet in a lot of the areas, it's going to be no. I don't really need to. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So often, in the in retrospect, we have that clarity about 
ooh, that was not not in my best interest to do that thing. Although, can I, I just want to add a brief caveat and this is <laughs> just Please. from personal experience, but it's so funny that you say heart of hearts or like deep down or like knowing I, actually that was once part of my moral scrupulosity was like, well, what do I feel deep down? So just as an example of what you were saying about holding like, uh, that lightly. Yeah, exactly. I just figured it was, it was a good way of sort of demonstrating that it can become very rigid. And when it does, that's alarm bells going out off, you know, ding, ding. That's, we want to probably consider OCD might be kind of getting its grubby little mitts all over everything. It's grubby little mitts. And, and I really like that example because it's a, it's this, the, the whole point of all these questions is just to really know yourself in this process. It's not to say that, you know, knowing yourself is is incredibly vital in this process because when you do then you can approach these tasks these activities you know more, more or less knowing yourself and to the example of, of the, that lauren shared you know accepting that we may not fully know ourselves but we're gonna we're gonna separate ourselves from that analysis and maybe just do this but part of the, part of underneath uh, underlying that is acknowledging that type of thinking is compulsive for me and when that shows up, I mean, to the point about uh, one and two, whenever I'm asked the question about heart of hearts, gosh, I know that's really going to trigger me and I'm going to know it's attacking me because I'm going to feel this you know, urge to really go down and analyze and really get to the bottom of things. And gosh, when I feel that, here's one of the things that I now need to do. But then it really helps to, in, in future um, endeavors to know, all right, I already know I'm going to do this. So if I'm being true to myself and knowing where my pitfalls are, I have a bit more freedom to know where I get stuck and knowing that we're going to screw that up sometimes and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and since we're on this sort of example, I wonder if we can use it to illustrate points four and five here. Um, because I think ultimately... It, for example, if you have moral scrupulosity and obviously, again, interests, right? A lot of people are interested in being moral humans, right? That's pretty typical interest, right? Hopefully. <laughs> I, would, I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, you know, what will I have to accept by continuing to pursue this interest of, of being a gen generally moral person? I'll have to accept the possibility that I might not be perfectly moral sometimes that I might be in denial, that I might be lying to myself deep down. Right. But that's, that's how wait, what? I might do the wrong thing. Exactly. Exactly. And so ultimately recognizing that and also recognizing, as you see in point five, what happens if I don't accept what's in number four, which generally is my life becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and more overwhelmed by compulsive behaviors until I'm constantly ruminating about whether or not in this case, I'm being honest, or I'm asking for reassurance to the extent that my family and friends and my relationships with them are being uh, sort of unduly burdened um, or any of the, the different iterations. Maybe you guys have some, some better examples there to sort of illustrate. Go ahead, Laura or Kelly, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say, whenever my, my clients actually resist a really gnarly convulsion, I'm always so impressed. And I always ask them, how'd you do that? What made you this time say no to it? 
And the typical answer, without doubt, is around this idea that, well, I did a pros and cons list, right? I knew that if I gave in to this compulsion, mm -hmm. how the story was going to end. And I decided I'm not going to do this, right? I don't want to prolong the pain any longer than it needs to be. Right. So I'm going to say no, sir, and move on. It's very polite. Well, moral. <laughs> and, and, and I think that the, the next step from that is like, what is it going to cost me if I if I let my compulsions take over? It's also that, um, or what will I lose? Is yeah, is is it, it in the backwards way? Is my justifying this behavior worth it? So. Mm -hmm with the potential that then oh i could be the most perfect person of faith oh i could i could finally get this feeling or i could finally keep my family safe all right yeah we use that justification but looking at your history of things has that happened have you gotten have you gotten that before or has what you've gotten with compulsions something else mm. so is that is that trade off in, in if are are you are you okay with that? Because that's going to be a big question as to whether or not you're willing to take this risk. My hope is that you'll, you will, in your most honest self, see, gosh, I've tried this over and over and over again, and it hasn't gotten to me what I hope it's going to get me. So I have to try something different. Well said. Thanks. <laughs> with that, crushed it. With that being said, I'm going to hand it off to Kelly to talk a little bit more about how to have your interests in recovery too at the same time. Yeah. So just in summary of what we've basically talked about is that we're trying to do three things, cultivate self-awareness, take a personal inventory and be radically honest with yourself. Know thyself. So, um, Looking at the self-awareness aspect is the language I usually use is knowing your blind spots, right? Like know where you typically get stuck. And this is something that you guys had just talked about is that knowing in your heart of hearts, that's kind of saying, there it is. That's my blind spot. Or when I'm walking. So a little disclosure for myself is that one of my main obsessions is psychologically harming somebody, specifically my daughter, my, my clients. So when I'm walking into session, I go, here's my blind spot. Let's practice mindfulness. Let's really be present here and not get roped into something. Um, some type of bait OCD is, is um, fishing my way. Uh, it's easy to take the bait. So being aware is key to all this and continuing to practice that mindfulness. I don't know where I'd be, to be honest, in recovery if I didn't practice mindfulness. and. It's, um, it works, so do it. <laughs> Taking a personal inventory. This language is basically that we're saying, consider the things we just talked about in the slide previously, right? Is knowing when you're getting stuck, what does it look like? Do you feel more urgency? Do you feel like you have to do it in a really specific, rigid manner? Do you feel like you're getting stuck more than usual? Right. So it's taking that inventory and how it looks and then practicing radical accept or radical honesty. Sorry about that. Um, is it's a necessary step. It's a difficult one, but it's a necessary one. And I know for me too, is that it's it's hard to, you know, <laughs> 
sit there and say, okay, I just want it just one more time, right? Just let me just a little longer and saying, now hold on, do I really want to do this? And having a conversation with yourself about that in a very uh, transparent way. And so then the next slide is putting boundaries, right? Is saying, okay, when I am symptomatic, what are the steps I'm going to take to make sure that these things don't come off the rails any more than they already have? So when you notice it flaring up is saying, for example, um, I'm going to allow myself one hour, four times this week for research on my philosophy paper. Instead of just going in willy nilly and saying, "Oh, I'll get stuck in the vortex for five hours," it's like let's let's come up with some structure here. Um, noticing OCD trying to get things perfect, uh, we want to do things wrong intentionally. So, for example, would say um, if you want to get this paper perfectly done, is that we're going to do we're going to skip. Um, a, keyword or a sentence that we feel like, oh, we're going to get it all wrong. Uh, might be another example would be skipping parts of your cleaning routine or mixing up the ritual. And then stopping once you've noticed that urge and telling yourself, I'm going to make sure that I feel a little anxious or a sense of incompleteness every time and intentionally maybe ruining a line from from something that you're doing a play at a performance or dropping a note when you're performing musical performances. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, phoning, phoning a friend. So oftentimes people will say, um, well, at least I will. It's like, so I'm going to ask a little bit of reassurance here. It's almost, it's the caveat of it. Maybe I just need to get it out instead of getting the answer. So being maybe honest with that person or feeling, saying you feel stuck and you need help and you just need to talk it out without giving, getting the reassurance. Um, and then also consulting when you're, with your therapist when you feel like, okay, it's gone a little too far. I've tried all the things. I've came, I came up with a game plan and it's still not working. I'm still feeling rather stuck. Um, and then... Was there anything you wanted to add to that, guys? I, this is sort of a, a random illustrative story about the intentionally doing it incorrectly or wrong that I've always really appreciated that actually comes from my father, of all people, who doesn't know anything about OCD treatment. But uh, that's not true. He knows some things. But intentionally doing something wrong or doing something incorrectly. Uh, he said, whenever uh, somebody that he used to work with would get a new car, they would open the hood of the car and put a big scratch underneath the hood. Right. Oh, so I that it was like already sort of in a way we might see it as contaminated. Yeah. Right? It's ruined. I'm going to ruin it on purpose. And granted, I'm, you know, like you were saying, Kelly, it's not like I'm saying do the whole monologue incorrectly or, you know, right. now just play this another song <laughs> while the rest of the orchestra is playing this one. But to say like, you know what? I, I see your bluff. I'll do your worst, right? I'll, right? I'll do something that's, that's a little bit wrong because you don't get to, you don't get to tell me what to do. Yeah, going on offense is key with a lot of this, right? Mm -hmm. If you know your blind spot and you know how it looks when you get stuck, now it balls in your court. You have power and control at this point. Yeah.
as long as you're willing to feel anxious, right? That is a big part of all of this. <laughs> Darn it. Okay. Yeah. Kevin, did you want to add any to that? I think you two said it, said it great. Um, oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fine moving on to the next one if we want to. All right. Okay. And so lastly, just wrapping it up is that we're not going to get this perfect. So stop trying to because it doesn't exist. It's a myth. And you will do compulsions and you have to roll the dice and gamble that maybe you will and not spend too much time trying to decipher, is this a compulsion or is it not? Because then it becomes its own obsession, right? In its own right, it becomes a whole new thing. Um, it's a trap, as we put on the slide. And uh, Dr. Stephen Philipson calls this the two-tail spike, right? Spike yeah. or spin? I like spin. <laughs> it's the spike, same, though. Same deal. <laughs> it's getting too stuck in, okay, I really don't want to lose my recovery. I also want to have my value-based activity going at the, simultaneously. I'm going to take everything that I've learned today, and I am going to make sure that I ask myself these questions. I do the personal inventory. I'm being honest with myself. That is a trap, because what does that sound like? Sounds like OCD lots of rigidity. We don't want to do that. Just make a choice. Maybe it's a compulsion. Maybe it's not. Moving on. Okay. Yeah. Um, being open to making mistakes, even in treatment. That's basically what we're talking about here. Um, and ultimately, making a choice is, is actually acting in a trusting manner. It's going to be, I'm going to trust myself because so much of OCD is doubting yourself and having this inability or this feeling of this inability to know what's right for yourself. You do know what's right and you have to act in a manner that is, it's the feeling, right? People often say, well, I'll never, I don't really feel like I trust myself. Well, but let's just jump and do the behavior and you will start to trust yourself through action and through the behavior, not the feeling. Um, and don't let OCD take anything away from you anymore. It's already robbed you of stuff. Let's go live your life with OCD. Bring it with you. And with that, is there anything that the two of you professionals would like to add? I'll add a little bit. We'll go just for it, a Kevin. Brief little thing before we sign off and then get to the question and answers. Um, the, all of this can certainly feel like it's playing with fire, and to a certain degree, it kind of is, in that we're, we're kind of saying, you know what, you don't need to just cut this thing out of your life entirely. You can, you can do things you actually enjoy and actually like doing if you genuinely like doing them, not just if it's a compulsion. But, but it's gonna, it, it is, in all honesty, kind of playing with fire in the sense that if you know that some of these things are a trap for you, being honest about this and, and knowing, that, knowing where you have the pitfalls and where you can kind of get caught up, that's going to help you to not get burned by this thing. But you knowing that you are kind of stepping into this thing that is, that is going to be tricky, but it's not impossible. And I'll say, yeah, it is kind of playing with fire, but playing with fire is super fun. I don't know if anybody's actually done that. <laughs> It's super fun. Whoa. Also, sometimes we don't have a choice, right? Like if you're, right. if you have obsession, harm obsessions about your child, but you have a child, you can't just say, oh, you know, I don't want to be a mom anymore. 
So why would that be any different here, right? Is we want you to engage in the things you love. Lean into it. Yep. Breathe in that anxiety. Exactly. Sounds great. Yeah. So uh, any other thoughts? I'm, I'm good. Okay. Well, may I add one quick thing? Because I, I really, do, I love what you both said. And I think that recognizing that with the two-tailed two spike and the idea that anything can be an exposure, right? Like you can make all of the things an exposure and do the response prevention. And I think that that's really important. Like, Either, either way, no matter what choice you make about doing the thing or not doing the thing because you're not sure if it's a compulsion, that's either way, it's exposure right, to making the wrong choice wrong. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's, that was my final thought. Any other final thoughts before I wrap it up? No, we will be answering your questions shortly. Oh, Sorry, here's this. Also. That's okay. <laughs> we will be answering your questions. And if you're looking to find any of us, the, you can see our information here. We're happy to send this along as well. Uh, you can find us um, at, well, at the following uh, email addresses and Instagram handles if you like. And we're excited to chat with you. And feel free to email us because we do really respond and we are um, interested in hearing what you guys have to say. Absolutely. All right. So shall we get on to the questions and answers? Let's do it. All right. Okay. Thank you all so much for making it through that. I hope it, uh, I hope this talk made sense. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was informative and encouraging to all of you. Uh, again, if you have questions about this or, or specific, specific questions about this episode, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and send me a message over to submit a, uh, submit a question link there. Um, and uh, if, you, if you have any feedback or follow-ups for it, that would also be appreciated. And uh, I'll publish those. I'll, set, I'll put those up on a future episode as well. Everybody, um, if you like the show, if you like the FearCast, go over to uh, iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts and, uh, and give the show a like, give it a review. I appreciate five stars, but um, be honest about how you feel about it. And I, I appreciate any sort of uh, feedback that you guys give. Um, if, uh, I, uh, if you also write a review, all of this just helps to, uh, helps to promote the show, helps it rise up in the ranks, and helps other people find the information as well. Um, uh, if you need, uh, please remember everybody that uh, the FearCast is not substitute for psychotherapy. If you need a little bit of help in your recovery, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can go to the find help link and there's going to be some stuff up there that may be helpful for you. And again, as I mentioned earlier, the IOCDF is a great resource uh, for some of that information. All right, everybody. Until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye. Bye.